Hello and welcome to the Nutrition with Rebecca podcast. This podcast is designed to empower you with the knowledge to live a healthy and happy life. My ethos is sustainability and my aim is to leave you better than I found you. I am a complete foodie, lover of all animals, recovering perfectionist, with a passion to help many achieve a life of health and well-being. I hope you take a lot from this podcast and thank you so much for tuning in. Good morning. Hello everyone. I hope you're all having a fabulous, fabulous start to your week. What can I tell you today? I did reformer Pilates last night. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. When this lovely lady gets you to put your feet in stirrups and then spread your legs. It was wild. It was wild. But honestly, it was such a wonderful evening. So with some friends and then some friends of their friends. And it was just so great. Like, I don't think I've ever laughed so much in my life. But yeah, it, it was it was wild. But it was good. It was good. And I'm going to go again with some uh, some of the girls. But yeah, I think I'd recommend it. I'm not really sure. I was trying to explain to another to another friend about it. And then I said to her, we should go. And she was like, well, what is it? And I didn't really know how to explain it. <laughs> like it's somewhat between like yoga and like movement (laughs) but in some strange wild positions yeah guess it's gonna prime me for my next smear test (laughs) um but it was just nice to you know connect with people and I think we forget that don't we that like exercise can be fun and it can be part of your values one of my core values is connection and love and like I felt truly connected not only to my body last night when I was trying to get her into some wild and wonderful positions but to these wonderful people I was spending time with as well and you were able to then fully immerse yourself in these situations and actually enjoy the movement like did I enjoy really spreading my legs in stirrups I if somebody had said to me that's what I was going to do I wouldn't have gone because I'd have felt really vulnerable because for me, that's just not a vibe. But actually, I enjoyed it in the moment because it was part of my values, because it was part of connection and it was so joyful. And I laughed more than anything else, which was absolutely fabulous. So it's looking at the bigger picture. And actually, that's where a lot of people go wrong, whereby they exercise like solely for their body image or exercise solely to change their body, but then find themselves really dissatisfied. And really disconnected from their body and they're not able to acknowledge like how movement feels in their body or even like the overall health benefits that you're getting from it <clears throat> and it could be like connecting to your friends it could be um like connecting to your body and being able to feel your body through these movements and acknowledge what she's doing for you which is then going to support body functionality which is then going to play into a more of a positive body image and and looking at movement as an overarching how can this support me long term as part of my values and I will regularly go for a walk with my best friend because like it's 
not only part of my values but it's really supportive of my health as well and she messaged me last night she said she's trying to go for a walk and that for me is that is so much joy and like last night so how can you then start to incorporate exercise and have it be part of your values if you do value say like connection love there are so many different ways in which you can do that and even then when you're training on your own how is that playing into connection back to yourself are you able then to breathe through the movements are you able to feel the movements in your body are you able to switch your focus from your body image and look at your overall health how is that supporting you and this is why knowing your values is so important and I will never tire of saying that never tire of saying that because and I mean, if you asked 20 year old Rebecca what she, well, I mean, not 20, maybe like 25 year old Rebecca what she valued, I'd have said my body image. But that's not a value, shockingly. Um, <laughs> well, I valued how I looked. It, yeah, it was, I was full of vanity and I was very ego driven, let me tell you that. Um, thankfully, we're so far away from that right now, which is brilliant, right? But then that becomes a dichotomy, isn't it? Because that's not a value. So I was living to my body image, living, living to um, like control my body weight and shape. So then I was actually not living true to my values. Well, I didn't know them, but I was isolating myself socially. I was doing way too much exercise and I wasn't able to embrace spontaneity. I had no compassion for myself, no connection to myself or to others because all I could think about was food and exercise and trying to control my body image. And that very all or nothing, very yo-yo approach. And that's not sustainable. That's not healthy long-term. So then knowing your values, and I say to everybody, I don't I don't value health as like an individual, but me being healthy supports all of my values. It supports me connecting to others without food preoccupation, without food focus. Me following an inclusive diet helps me be more social, be, be able to travel with an open heart, with an open mind, helps me embrace days when I don't feel overly great in myself without then disconnecting from my business when I value personal growth, without me then disconnecting from those around me that I love because I value love. And and it's really difficult. Like I used to be a massive avoidant, (laughs) huge avoidant. And I was always avoidant to living a life of authenticity and true to myself. So knowing your values helps you support that, helps to support that, sorry. (laughs) You know, we're here for it. We're here for it. So that was me explaining reformer Pilates and then going off on shockingly another tangent. Like anybody would think I like to talk about myself. Hey, well, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Right, here we go. Let's go. Okay, number one. Good questions. Good questions this week. As always, as always, I'm here for these questions. I think they're great. How to get out of a rut when you're, how to get out of a rut when relationship with food feels challenging. And I think, silence, because I'm thinking. And I think, it's not always going to be easy. And I know it's it's okay for me to sit here and say this, but there are going to be times where it does feel more challenging than others. And there are going to be times where it does feel like a chore. Take anything that you achieve in life. See if you're buying a house, <clears throat> because that's also life-changing, isn't it? And that's also something to be immensely proud of. 
You don't just go and find your first house and go and see your first mortgage broker, get your mortgage, and then the money drops in your bank account straight like that. It's not that easy. You have to firstly save for the house. And then you maybe have to market your own house or you have to go and look at all these other houses that you're you're potentially looking at buying. And then you've got a fight with other buyers who want to buy that house. Then you've got to see the mortgage advisor. Then you've got to see the bank. Uh, and, and then you've got to transfer the money and get the solicitor. And then you've got to get all the valuation. It's hard, right? And that process gets very challenging at times. But then you reap the reward of the hard work that you put in on that process to then sit in that house that you were managed to buy in yourself and feel really proud of yourself. But some of those some of those tasks along that journey were hard were challenging and I think too often people can get so focused on the outcome that they lose sight of the process and the process is where the magic happens the process is where you learn the process is where you adapt where you understand different triggers and when it feels challenging that's when most people give up and if you give up that's when it becomes that all or nothing well today's a little bit hard so what's the point Well, the point is you're the only person that can do you. You're the only person that can look after yourself. And if every time it feels challenging, you give up, you will find yourself in this yo-yo cycle. You'll be on, you'll be off, you'll be on, you'll be off. And a lot of the time, these challenges are then faced with the fear of failing and this association that failing is bad. Failing is not bad. If you don't fail, you will never succeed. Because failing gives you, again, the opportunity to learn, the opportunity to understand. And then when you learn, you're able to adapt going forward should that situation arise again. So reframing the challenges and reframing them to the opportunity to then dig a little bit deeper, to acknowledge like how that has impacted your relationship with food and know that your relationship with food is currently being healed from you scratching below the surface and then acknowledging these situations. So maybe it's like, um, I don't know, a food a, a food categorization that you have. Every time, like say, okay, example, I went out last weekend and had burger and fries. It was truly delicious. One of my best favorite meals in the world. Now, had I been labeling that food as being bad, I could have potentially restricted my food all day and not ate before I went out. Then when I went out, I'd have ate the food really, really fast. I wouldn't have been present with my husband. I'd have ate past fullness because I would have probably ordered some new rings and maybe a milkshake as well because I'd have been absolutely ravenous. Then I'd have felt really uncomfortable in myself. Then I'd have resented my husband for wanting to go to the burger place because it was his birthday. Then I'd have been disconnected from him. Then I'd have been really aggravated and frustrated in myself. And then maybe I'd have woke up the next morning and tried to exercise. Or fallen into a dichotomy and just gone and got more food. I'm saying that because that's what I used to do many, many years ago, right? So that would have felt really challenging because I'd have been so focused on the food. Instead, now you open your heart and you open your mind to understanding. Okay, so previously, I thought this food was bad. Previously, I restricted all day. So then I went off track and that became a dichotomy for me. And I was all or nothing. And actually, it wasn't value led. It wasn't intentionally led with nourishment. It was a punishment. It's punishing myself all day to then continue to punish myself and feel like an absolute ass in myself okay so 
when that that felt challenging at the time right and it feels even more challenging to then acknowledge that because you have to take your ego out of it and you have to understand that that's a limiting belief and that that limiting belief is preventing you then making progress going forward okay so what can you learn from that what did I learn I learned actually that restricting my food before I went out was going to send me into a lot of mindless eating it was going to send me into a spiral of overeating right okay so what can I learn from that going forward make sure you have your goddamn breakfast make sure you have your goddamn lunch have something before you go that is rich in protein to help you be more mindful okay what else did I learn I eat really fast uh well I used to that I categorize food as being bad, I'd eat it really fast. Right, focus on slowing your food down. Right, okay. Right, yeah. And you learn, but then if you have to expose yourself to some vulnerability in these challenges to then adapt going forward. So what did I do this weekend? Had my breakfast, had my lunch, slowed my pace of eating down. Felt really connected to my husband. Had the best time. Woke up the next morning, continued with life. Had breakfast, went for a walk like I normally do. So when it feels challenging, you can dismiss the challenge and just think, no, I'm not, I'm not open for that. I don't want to do that. Or you open the challenge, you open your heart to the challenge and you see the challenge as an opportunity for you to then continue healing your journey, healing your relationship with food, with your body, because that challenge is giving you a lesson. Open your mind to the lesson. And if you want some prompts, there's loads in the vault, like how to heal your relationship with food or just a simple reflection. Like I like a simple reflection in times like that. It's like, oh, interesting. And then you start to get curious. Like curiosity is so powerful. Like, Well, where does that come from? Well, if you've been dieting for 30 years, it likely comes from years of restriction, likely comes from years of avoidance, right? Is that fact or fiction? That's fiction. There's no food that's bad. And this is where the food labels actually, on a side note, if you eat something that's bad, is there any wonder you feel guilt after eating it? It's wild, right? Um, how to improve sleep? I keep waking up in the night. I don't feel overly stressed or like I have a lot on my mind. Sleep's a biggie. A biggie. If you are sleep deprived, there's actually research out there to show that on average, people consume about 500 to 700 calories more. Sleep deprivation plays massively into emotional dysregulation and low energy and hunger dysregulation. In essence, you inhibit what's known as your REM cycle of sleep, which is like your emotional first aid where the brain gets rid of all the metabolic waste built up throughout the day. So to improve sleep, there's a few things that we can be doing here. So the first one is like checking in with your sleep hygiene. So what I mean by that is how, how is your bedtime routine? Like, are you getting enough sleep, enough like downtime before bed, whereby like you're coming off your phone 90 minutes before? And when you're coming off your phone 90 minutes before, you're then like soothing your body, like getting into a nice place of rest, whereby maybe I don't know you're doing some stretching, you're doing some reading, you're doing a little bit of journaling, um, these sort of things to help you then relax before bed. For whatever reason, now there's this like, and I did it for so long, 
you'll do everything say your bedtime's 10 o'clock so you'll be running around like a blow ass fly until 9 50 and then you try and go to bed and wonder why you're not sleeping very well you're you're dysregulated because you've been doing things so your sympathetic nervous tone is engaged which is your stress response and then your parasympathetic which is your rest and digest is down regulated and of course being on your phone like being on technology beforehand that disrupts your melatonin level because um of the of the light exposure and melatonin is your sleep hormone that is part of your circadian rhythm. So if you're downregulating your melatonin, then that's also going to disrupt the natural production of melatonin, making that deep sleep really tough to attain. So you wake up in the next the next morning and like absolutely exhausted, wildly exhausted. Another thing to take into consideration is like how close to bed are you eating, especially for like perimenopause and menopausal women. Um, if you're eating like your biggest meal close to bed, that increases thermogenesis, which is going to increase your basal metabolic temperature, which is going to make you feel a little bit warmer, which can then disrupt your sleep. So if you are eating your biggest meal at the, at later on in the day, can you eat that uh, a little bit earlier? Maybe you can go for a 10 minute walk after to support the digestion, because again, that's going to increase that parasympathetic nervous response. And then is checking things like your stress management. Have you really not got much on your mind? Or is it that you have a lot on your mind, but it's not causing you to feel emotional? So maybe you go to bed thinking, I need to do that tomorrow. I need to, like, I always do this on a Thursday. Like always, my sleep is always disruption on Thursday because Friday is like my busiest day as such, where I've got a lot of things that I'd, I need to get done. Then I'm always never getting a good amount of sleep on a Thursday night. So is it maybe that you're running through a to-do list and would it benefit you to write that down before you go to bed to just get that off your mind? Making sure like your room is nice and cool as well. Um, I sleep with an eye mask on and let me tell you now, they are revolutionary. And the one we've got is off Amazon. I think, I think it was like eight pounds but it's great. And I think as well, giving yourself enough time. So the recommendations are seven to nine hours. Now, I appreciate that there are people listening to this that have maybe got small children and that's not always achievable. And I'm sitting here from a place of privilege because I haven't got small children. I have a small dog, but she doesn't wake me up in the night. But, and I appreciate as well, you know, that especially if you do have small children that maybe when they've gone to bed that that's the only time you have for you so it's looking at how you can maybe get bite-sized chunk time of you in the day like maybe you can then use a bit of a 10 minute lunch break where you maybe do some meditation or go for a walk or do something that you perhaps enjoy doing instead of leaving everything until the end of the day and then you're not going to bed till 11 and you've got to be up at five you're not giving yourself a good capacity there in terms of, of sleep. And remember that chronic sleep is directly linked to chronic illness. Sleep deprivation is the biggest stress on the body for so many people. And it plays so much into disruption of hunger. Like I said, your cravings will be wild and you'll crave carbohydrates, namely because of the blood brain barrier and the carbohydrates that you will crave will be sugary dense foods. They will be the biscuits. They will be the chocolate. They will be the sweets because that's what we're exposed to in our environment. And then you get wildly frustrated with yourself, right? And then you fall into a spiral of overeating or then you're heavily reliant upon caffeine. 
And remember, caffeine disrupts your melatonin response because caffeine has a half an afterlife. So it takes around 12 hours for a body to fully metabolize caffeine. So making sure you're not drinking caffeine after two o'clock, swapping that for a decaf, giving yourself a bit of a placebo. If you think, oh, I can't not drink coffee. And I remember a couple of clients, and they, they might listen to this and they were like, oh yeah, I said I couldn't not drink coffee. And now actually one of them doesn't drink coffee at all, at all hero 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 um and especially again perimenopause menopause reducing that is really important and remember if you're drinking alcohol as well that's going to affect your REM cycle of sleep so it's there's quite there's like a myriad of different factors but the first one I would look at is making sure that you are giving yourself good capacity to get to bed and you're taking your phone out of the room or out of sight at least 90 minutes beforehand and you are doing some like self-soothing, self-regulating before bed. Maybe that's reading, maybe that's jigsaw puzzle, maybe that's Lego, maybe that's Sudoku, having a bath, doing your skincare, whatever works for you. And then giving yourself the best shot. If you struggle with a lot on your mind, getting that off your mind before bed. So doing a bit of a reflection as well. Super important. Um, Sorry, next question. Next question. Tips for fat loss tips for fat loss and I think do you know what right the tips I would give for fat loss are not different to the tips I would give to anybody starting their journey whether that is just just be the healthiest person like the healthiest version of themselves of course healing your relationship with food and healing your body image that's all so individual and my my coaching is one-to-one and you know that so you've all got different habits different work that you're doing different homework but if somebody came to me and said what's general recommendations for fat loss this is what I would say eat three meals a day get at least 30 grams of protein with every meal get a variety of fruit and vegetables with every meal making sure you get in 30 grams of dietary fiber limit your snacking um If you are going to snack, snack on fruit. Exercise three to four times a week. Make sure you get enough sleep. Make sure you're staying hydrated. Plan your week. The recommendations, and you know, you can make it as sexy as you like. Follow an inclusive diet, that as well. Follow an inclusive diet no food avoidance no no food restriction where the intent is restriction of food groups obviously you're gonna have to restrict because you're in a fat loss phase i would also recommend for the vast amount of people to eat more in the day there is an abundance of evidence now to show how much that improves your satiety levels how much that improves your fullness how it reduces food preoccupation how it supports management of your glucose um and, and your insulin and you know it just helps you then with more cognition to live a life. And the amount of times I get DMs now about people struggling with fat loss and all they're doing is restricting their food all day and then overeating at night, they're losing control with the biscuits at night, but they've skipped breakfast and only had three nuts for lunch. For whatever reason, now there is this massive association that you should only be eating like if you're really exercising, but your body, like 65 to 70% of your calories are burnt at rest. 
rest. That's just you sitting down. And then you've got things like the non-exercise activity thermogenesis, which is general movement that encompasses walking. But that also me doing things like this, if you're watching on a video, like it's general day-to-day -day movement, like cleaning the house, working, using your brain, getting up and going to make Barbara two desks down, a coffee. Like this is your need. That's your general movement. So following an inclusive diet, eating three meals a day, snacking on fruit, but limiting snacking, making sure your meals are substantial, eating earlier on in the day to improve your satiety and your fullness, getting a good sleep routine, like really, really important, exercising three to four times a day, a week, a day, all, um, in a manageable way for you. So whether that is, well, I would recommend resistance training because it is the most optimal, especially as we're aging, to reduce that anabolic resistance and to support the retention of muscle mass playing into your metabolic health. Because ultimately, if you're in a calorie deficit, if your aim is to lose body fat and you're not focusing on the uptake of protein, you're not focusing on resistance training, you're at risk of losing your lean tissue, which is your lean muscle mass, which therefore means you will lose weight on the scales but you're likely going to lose more muscle mass than body fat, which is then going to play into a reduction of metabolic health. Because of course, the aim of the game is to lose body, body fat, not muscle mass. Muscle mass is more metabolically active, more metabolically efficient and healthier. The aim is to maintain that muscle mass, lose the body fat. The way in which you can help to an extent mitigate that is eating that 30 grams of protein with every meal, training, resistance training, and getting enough rest right um and like i said planning as well huh. right two questions to this one how not to resent people who can eat what they want how in inverted commas can eat what they want i think this comes from a restrictive background because realistically, we resent people who can, quote unquote, eat what they want because they have autonomy. They have flexibility with their choices and they're making an open decision for them. And that resent usually comes from a lack of autonomy, a lack of an inclusive approach, food avoidance, and then you project outward well, why can you eat that? The issue is not why is that person eating that? The issue is why are you not eating it? And you're not eating it probably because you categorize it as bad. You've avoided it. You believe it causes weight gain. So instead of asking, why can they eat what they want? Ask yourself, why can you not eat what you want? And of course, there are some people who are blessed with genetics they are blessed with genetics whereby maybe their metabolic rate is a little bit higher but actually it's not that much higher and this is the issue when you're going out with somebody socially and you're seeing them eating one meal you have this then loop in the brain that says but they must eat like that all the time so then you start to resent them but actually that's just one meal And I fell into this, like resenting people, but actually the, it wasn't that I was resent. I was resenting myself for not allowing myself the autonomy and the decision-making. 
And when you don't allow yourself the autonomy and the openness of a de- an inclusive diet with decision making, that's when you do start to resent others because they're making choices that likely you want. So then you feel left out. You've got FOMO. But then when you do eat these foods, you overeat them because novelty is so high. So it's not that they can eat what they want. That's fine. Like we can't, we can't directly impact anybody else's choices. All we can do is control our own. So then it's asking like, why have your choices been perhaps restricted? Perhaps out of punishment? Where does that come from? Again, it's this reflection, isn't it? And then not associating somebody's like one meal with the whole dietary approach. And also remember as well, I think this is a biggie to take home that somebody's weight and shape is not directly representative of their health. It's not directly representative of their, their, their relationship with food, their relationship with their body, how they feel in themselves. So not cross correlating that as well, because I think that's really important whereby maybe we see somebody in a healthy quote unquote healthy, um, societally accepted body eating a burger. And then we think that like example, when I just mentioned me, like, seven years ago I'd gone out and had a burger in a societally accepted body a lot smaller than I am now and somebody might have looked at me and resented me for eating a burger and holding a small physique but actually I was far from healthy so don't judge a book by its cover and don't instantly draw those correlations back instead look inwardly what can I eat here? And unconditional permission to eat that feeds food neutrality with this inclusive diet is not just a green flag to go and eat whatever you want. Quite the opposite. That's if it fits your macros and not healthy at all. It's giving your body what it needs to thrive mentally and physically. It's supporting your body with a lot of nutrients, with enough protein, but then also with enjoyment out of your food. And realistically, like I had the question yesterday in my DMs about like, what was my favorite food? Or no, if I could eat one food for the rest of my life, what would it be? And, and realistically, I, I do prefer donuts and pizza and burgers over a bowl of vegetables. I do. I love them. I love donuts and especially love burgers. And especially love pizza. They're my three things. But unconditional permission to eat is not me just eating those three things. Because that's not me supporting my health long-term, mentally and physically. That's not a value-lined action for me. Because I wouldn't be satiated. I wouldn't be full. I would likely gain some weight because I would likely eat more. Then I would be disconnected from myself, disconnected from those around me. I wouldn't be focused on personal growth. So you do have to remain accountable to yourself with some choices whereby you do give your body the vegetables and you do eat the protein, but then looking outside of that as well, looking outside of that where you can get enjoyment, where you can get satisfaction, but also making sure that that's not your only place that you're getting enjoyment in life. So I hope I answered that. Um, This next one's really good as well. How to react to this people, how to react to people who embody food is love, i.e. I made this cake especially for you. Have some. Love language is a thing. I don't know if 
if any of you have ever explored love language, but they, this tends to come with the older generation as well. That maybe, and it's again, it's a reframe, isn't it? And here it might well be a lack of boundaries. And it might also well be a lack of awareness from the, the other person. And I always like to think that people are doing the best they can with where they're at. I genuinely do believe that. Sometimes that is challenged to a place that I actually struggle. <laughs> but I do like to think it. Now, what you tend to see with the older generation is that maybe they didn't have as much food as we do now. Like maybe they grew up in an environment and I know I've got clients like this where like food came once a week and like it didn't come in huge abundance like it does now. Like we live in an obesogenic environment, let's be honest, but it wasn't the thing in the 70s. So what the older generation now try and do is like they had their experience and you'll probably see this like I go and see my stepmom all the time and she cannot give me enough. She cannot give me enough. Do you want this, do you want this, do you want this, do you want this, do you want this? And it's their love language because they didn't have it growing up. So they want the best for you. But again, it comes back to that other question, doesn't it? Like we can then start to resent people and we start to resent them because we've got a lack of boundaries. Because maybe we haven't been able to express these people around us that actually making a full cake is not the right thing and you're working through your relationship with food or maybe you've got a goal so I invite you now to get curious about setting boundaries with these people and exploring the possibility to then talk to these people like does this person know that you have maybe a fat loss goal does this person know that maybe when you have the cake you then eat all the cake and that's something you're currently working on because if this person thought to any extreme that it was causing you dysregulation aggravation frustration they wouldn't be doing it right because like you said food is love for them and it's their sort of love language it's their way of expressing to you the second option to take into consideration then is Asking yourself, if somebody makes a cake, why can you not have some? Can you have a small bit? Or is it that somebody's made a cake and you've avoided cake for so long that then when the cake is there, you resent the person and you end up eating all the cake? Can you freeze some of the cake? Can you offer it to your neighbours? Can you offer it to other people around you? And do you want a size of the cake? And if you don't want the size of the cake, can you have, again, this is where a boundary comes in. You can say no. You can say, no, I'm okay, thank you. But it's it's one of those where you don't just go in with no, always go in with the first. Thank you really, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Really appreciate that you went to the time and effort of making me a cake, but I don't want any now, thank you. I'll have some later. So then take a slice home with you. And take a slice. And this is where the, the challenge comes with the what we see as people pleasing. Because what a lot of people do is just take it and to please others. Like, oh, well, yeah, okay, well, you've made me a cake. So I just need to take it. And, I, and I'm actually now, I've, cake is my trigger food and I'm really struggling with cake. But I'll just take it, yeah, because I'm just going to please you. 
people pleasing isn't cool. <laughs> you're actually, people pleasing is selfish because you're not doing stuff for others to make them feel better. You're doing it for you. You're doing it to make yourself feel better in that moment because it feels it feels more comfortable for you to just take the cake. But just because it feels comfortable doesn't mean it's right because then you're stuck with the discomfort later on. And that discomfort comes from a lack of value-aligned action whereby you've just pleased whoever made the cake in that moment, okay, this is just the right thing to do because I'm a people pleaser and I don't want the confrontation. And it doesn't have to, like, confrontation isn't bad. So in that moment, you made yourself feel better by taking it because you didn't want to have to say no to somebody or have to put boundary in place. And know that boundaries are really hard to put in place and they're usually with the people we like closest to us. So that people pleasing isn't called that selfish. And the most selfless act you can do is actually put a boundary in place, say no, but then ask yourself why you can't eat the cake as well. Because when you do something that is value aligned and when you put boundaries in place, they're supportive of you long term. But they also help you then connect with people without the preoccupation, without the food focus, without this all or nothing and without this discomfort. Like it won't feel easy to put these in place to start with. Like, trust me, I've been there. I've had more. I've had to put more, more boundaries in place than anything in my, anything before. Because it gets to the point where you just do everything and it's like, oh no, I can't not do that. But you can, it's a choice. And I think the more you can express to people like your journey, what you're doing, like your goals, the more that they can then support you with that. And having a support network around you is really, really powerful. But then if you don't want, like if you don't want to do that, have a slice of the cake. And then look at what you can do with the cake. Can you freeze it? Can you help? Can you give it to all the people? But I would always recommend boundaries. Always recommend boundaries. Because ultimately you don't want this for the rest of your life. Like you don't want forever to every time you see somebody that they bring about a massive cake or 15,000 cupcakes or 12 packets of biscuits. And that's just their way of like expressing so see it as a positive, but then how can you reframe that so it's also beneficial for you all? So that they can maybe maybe do two cupcakes instead of a giant cake. So then you can eat the cupcake and they're still doing what they want for you. You know? There's also a Boundaries podcast as well. So I would take a listen to that. Um, but that's going to be it. That's all the questions. Thanks again for your awesome questions. Keep them coming. I really do appreciate them. And I hope you all have a wonderful day. Thank you.